Good morning and Merry Christmas to everyone. My name is Chad Gilbert. I have the great joy of serving as the senior pastor here at First Baptist New Orleans. And I am so grateful that you have chosen on Christmas Day to gather and to be able to worship our Lord Jesus. So this morning, I wanna invite you to open in God's word or go in God's word on your phone or device um, to Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, one of my favorite things whenever we were forced as children to have to go do a hospital visit with my mom or my dad or something like that um, was to be able to go to where the the babies were. Anybody else remember that? Um, they used to put the babies on display. There'd be this you know, glass wall and there were all the babies. And you could just go and watch them cry or sleep or whatever. Some had almost like the little baby troll doll hair, you know, like, I mean, just a head full of hair. Others like me were bald, you know. And so you, you had all of these different babies and that was my favorite part. So like, even if we were going to visit somebody else for some other reason, we'd say, can we please stop by the babies because you wanted to see. But one thing we could couldn't see was what those babies would become. Uh, we, we couldn't tell a whole lot about what their future held just by looking at them. Um, you couldn't tell who was going to grow up to be someone important. But imagine this, if we had walked in to go look at the wall of babies and we look and, and, and by one of the babies, a little baby boy, were two secret service agents on either side. And, and the stereotypical, you know, like they got their sunglasses on, you know, and they're, they're, they're holding this, you know, just sorry, I'm making fun right here, you know, like, and they're talking into their wrists like this, you know, and stuff like that. You're going to think there's something different about this baby. Uh, we don't know who this baby is, but this baby obviously is someone that's protected, someone that's special, someone that's probably going to grow up to be somebody that we know about in the future. And Matthew, in the very same way, is saying from the very beginning, from the very opening scene that we have of Jesus being born and of this visit that we see from some important people, people that were significant in their own culture, people that were called wise men, perhaps even kings, we don't know, coming and bearing gifts, that that said something very significant about this child that has been born. So I want you to stand in honor of God and of his word this morning as I read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because that is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the, for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Father, thank you for this this portrait of your son that tells us so much about who he is, even from birth. And so, Lord, open our eyes today to remember and to see that Jesus is king. But also, Lord, challenge us with these words today, just as it would have challenged the original audience. May we be challenged by your word today to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So here's the proclamation, and this is Matthew's point of his entire gospel is this. Jesus is king. I mean, that's the big idea that Matthew is driving home from the very beginning. He opens his gospel this way, the the son of David, the son, son of Abraham, son of David, to help us understand that this is the king. And everything that, that Matthew does in orienting and building his gospel account to help you and I to see Jesus is with this main message in view, and that's that Jesus is king. But here in this passage, we see not only Matthew proclaiming that Jesus is king. We see not only the disciples in the gospel of Matthew proclaiming that Jesus is king. But instead, we see all of these different characters proclaiming this message of Jesus' kingship. And so I want you to see it in this passage, how all of these things are working together to elevate one message about who Jesus is, even from birth. Creation proclaims that Jesus is king. Creation itself proclaims that Jesus is king. Now, think with me for a moment. This is consistent with what we understand about creation. We we heard last night as the Dew family read our Advent reading from the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. Now, that's hearkening back to the very beginning of the Bible. It's language that's reminiscent from the very beginning of Genesis to help us understand that in the beginning there was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. The word was with God. But then we had this unity of deity and the word was God. All of this is helping us understand what Paul fleshes out over Colossians, that Jesus is the agent of all of creation. In other words, he was present and he was the means by which all things came into being. All things that are exist through him. And so therefore, it would make perfect sense that all of creation is proclaiming him and proclaiming his kingship. But how do we uniquely see it in this passage? Well, we see it as we go down and we look at the question in verse 2 that the wise men ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. The birth of a star to accompany the birth of a king. Now, I want you to think on this, because if you're like me, sometimes when I read Scripture, it begins to make me ask questions. And I'm like, how does this work? This is a moving star? Like, because notice, as the passage goes on, you get down to the end, and it says, And hearing the king, verse 9, they went on their way, and there it was, 
the star that they had seen at its rising, and it led them until it came, it referring back to the star, and stopped over the place where the child was. Well, I don't know about you, but that's not how I typically think of stars. And so here's what we have to be honest about and have a little bit of like intellectual humility, okay? Is that we don't know exactly what this is talking about. We, we can't explain this by the typical way that we explain other things. But here's what we do know from history is that there were astrologers and there were those that were called, as it is in this passage, wise men back in Babylon. In fact, we see that Daniel and his counterpart, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the company of such wise men who the king would seek, who would interpret dreams. And again, a dream comes here. So this is just normal communication for them. In a dream, they're warned. So they're like, yep, that's our sign. We don't go back to King Herod. And they return home by another way. So all of a sudden, you've got this, this very interesting story kind of emerging of how God is using even creation, whatever it is that they're looking to the stars to tell them, they have come into knowledge probably from the exile. You say, well, what's the exile? You go back into the Old Testament, and God's people, because of disobedience, have been carried back into or carried away from their promised land into exile, into captivity in places like Assyria and Babylon. And that's where we pick up the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being taken away into exile. And so the influence of them and the notoriety of these men being godly men, being superior in wisdom, their teachings about the Christ, their teachings of the scriptures begin to infiltrate and make their way in so that even now, hundreds of years removed from the exile, these stories remain and they know that there is going to be a king born and they've seen his star. Now let's just ponder for a moment that if it was a star and everything that we know about the birth of stars is that when they're born, all of a sudden it's a burst of light, but that light has to travel a long period of time. And so just think with me for a moment, let's just ponder together that if a star is millions of light years away, then for that star, that star to have been born so that at the exact moment that Jesus Christ was born, its light reached earth, that means that for millions and millions and millions of years, God had been planning this precise moment. And can I just tell you that the rest of Scripture points to that sort of precision? The rest of Scripture, Hebrews, at just the right time, God gave the gift of His Son. At just the right time, that sort of precision, that, that sort of foreknowledge, that sort of intentional gift, intentional timing was done so that even creation itself would proclaim the king. You know, it's interesting as my mind goes back to other passages where we see stars. My mind immediately went back, not only to Genesis where God creates the stars, but to Genesis chapter 15, where God takes out an, an aging man and he invites him to look up at the stars. And he says, your descendants will be as numerous as them. And it's to the sky that he takes his people again and again and again. Genesis 15, Genesis 22, Genesis 26, Exodus 32, Deuteronomy 1. To look at the sky and to ponder the stars and to know that his faithfulness will be extended to that many people. If you can count them. 
And I love that today we are seeing more and more and more of the universe that he has created, which proclaims more and more of his grace. This is a God who desires to bring in all nations. And he's using all of creation to proclaim that Jesus is king. Now notice, we're warned in the scriptures and passages in Deuteronomy that warn us not to worship the stars. But Israel herself had failed to heed that warning. They, because of sinfulness and because they had adopted the religions of those around them, they had begun to worship the stars and set up altars to the stars and to sacrifice their own children to the stars. And therefore they had gone into exile and they had missed the point of creation. But here we have these wise men getting the point. They're not worshiping the stars. They're just understanding that they all point to him, to his kingship, that Jesus Christ is Lord. How neat is it that this one star would proclaim that all the stars would be included in him? Creation proclaims that Jesus is king. Second, we see in this passage that the prophets, those men that gave prophetic utterance, they would speak the very words of God in the Old Testament, that the prophets proclaimed that Jesus is king. We turn back in God's word to see a prophet named Balaam in Numbers 24, 17. He's a mysterious character. He's actually hired by the bad guys, if you will, to, to bring curses on God's people. But this is one who's even saying the name Yahweh. He's seeking Yahweh in the passage in order to discern what he should say. And then four times he comes forward being paid to bring curses on God's people and instead brings blessing. And it's in one of those moments that he says this, I see him. This is Balaam speaking. He says, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. We see this idea of a star rising, but then explicitly we see it being proclaimed in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. The way that Matthew quotes from Micah, he says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The prophets are proclaiming that Jesus is king. You see, this is just one out of five direct quotations from the Old Testament that Matthew is helping put forward at the very beginning of Jesus' life to say this one message, Jesus is king. Jesus, this is the Christ. This one born of a virgin, he's the Christ. This one is Emmanuel, God with us. And everything about his birth, even the place, this obscure place of Bethlehem, even it proclaims that he is the son of God. It's only one out of five passages that he uses to help us to see that Jesus is king. So creation is proclaiming that Jesus is king. Prophets are proclaiming that Jesus is king. And then finally, we see it from these men that represent the nations. These men represent Gentiles. And you have to realize Matthew is a Jew writing to a Jewish audience. And so all of a sudden you have this incredible contrast on the scene 
that rather than Jews gathering around their king to worship him, you have other people from other nations coming and worshiping him. And they come and they proclaim that Jesus is king. They proclaim it with the gifts that they give. Gold shows his royalty. Frankincense shows his deity. Myrrh is somewhat of a foreshadowing of his death. They proclaim the very message that all need to hear that Jesus is king. And it's an irony that here at the beginning of his life, they say explicitly, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews, foreshadowing what would come at the end of his life with a sign above his head that says, Jesus, king of the Jews. All of these things Matthew is weaving together to help us to see this one message from his birth. His status as king was not something achieved. He didn't try out. He didn't get elected by popular vote. He was established. He was given from birth as king of the Jews. Acknowledged by the nations, proclaimed by the prophets, resounded by creation. But it's important for us to understand that all of these things stand incomplete. Creation does not proclaim the gospel. Prophecy does not proclaim the gospel. Nations do not proclaim the gospel. Let's walk through this to understand that each of these things is incomplete, that the gospel doesn't stop here. It's not just his birth that saves us. It's not just the acknowledgement that creation gives, that the prophets proclaimed, and that, and that even these men who worshiped him. And we have to acknowledge that worship here, they may not have just worshiped Jesus alone. We shouldn't look at this and say, ah, well, they got saved this day. They were showing honor. They were acknowledging kingship. And that's what Matthew is helping us to see is that it was God's own people who were more concerned about what King Herod thought and more concerned with getting the right answer to another king, King Herod, than they were about acknowledging the real king, King Jesus. You see, creation does not proclaim the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, hear this passage in its entirety. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God... They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over to their desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created, stars, Instead of the creator, Jesus, who is praised forever, amen. Paul is helping us to see that there is a general revelation that takes place through creation. But it is not the same thing as the special revelation of Jesus Christ that is found only in the gospel. It's found only in the gospel. 
And Matthew makes that clear by not putting a period in verse 12 and ending his gospel. His gospel account continues. And that should tell us that this is incomplete. Prophecy. Prophecy does not proclaim the gospel. Now let me just like dig into the words here. Because I know I've got some guys in here that are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Old Testament does proclaim the gospel. Hear my heart. Hear the heart behind these words that the prophecy does not proclaim the gospel. If the gospel could have been fully understood through the words of the prophets, then I think there have been many more who would have understood explicitly what it is that God would do. I think they would have understood explicitly the, the, the necessity of the sacrifice of the Son of God on a cross the need for his bodily death and the need for his bodily resurrection, but they could not perceive it. And there's nowhere more clear than when there's an Ethiopian riding through the desert and God appoints one in Acts chapter eight named Philip to meet him on the road. And there he is in possession of the prophecy of Isaiah one of the most quoted prophecies about Jesus and his coming. And he's sitting there reading like a lamb led to the slaughter. So he was silent before those who would kill him. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And, he, and, and the guy says this, this is a seeker. This is one who is worshiping the Lord, who is reading the word. And he says, how can I understand it? unless someone explains it to me. And so Philip climbs up in the chariot and he explains to him, starting with that passage, about the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and one day return of Jesus Christ. And then the, Philippian, then the Ethiopian is baptized and Philip is carried away. Nowhere else do we see it so clear that prophecy, even a prophecy as explicit about the crucifixion of Jesus as that one, was incomplete. People couldn't understand it. Their eyes were veiled. They needed to hear an explicit gospel. Brothers and sisters, just throwing a Bible at someone will not get the job done. This gospel message is a proclaimed message. God has ordained that we will tell the gospel to one another. And you want to know how we know that? Because Matthew ends his gospel with go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Teaching them, teaching them to observe, to do all that I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew is tying these things together to help us to see these things are incomplete. Creation is incomplete. The prophecies are all pointing to the gospel, but they don't proclaim it in its entirety. You need more. And then finally, the nations do not proclaim the gospel. This, this meets our culture right where we are because we still live in a culture that says, you know, all world religions are basically the same. And somebody will say, well, you know, the Quran, which is Islam's sacred book, it, it teaches about Jesus. And they're right. It, it does mention Jesus. In fact, let me tell you what it says about Jesus. It says that he was born of a virgin. It, it says that, that he was distinct in that regard, that he, that he was born of a virgin, but not the son of God, as some would believe, and that he was crucified on a cross, but... He didn't die because Allah would never allow such disgrace to come on one of his prophets 
So Jesus is a prophet. He is a messenger from God. But you can't believe this book because it's been corrupted. You can only believe what the Quran teaches about what Jesus says in order to know what Jesus really said. Even though the Quran was written 700 years later than the New Testament. It's not the same. And even though the nations, because a huge portion of the world is Islamic, they're saying Jesus, they're giving respect to Jesus, just like these wise men. They're saying, well, yes, he's a prophet. You shouldn't talk bad about him. You should, you should honor him and all of these things. That does not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hinduism says, yes, Jesus is a God. He's one of many gods, and you're right to worship him. Atheists, they say Jesus was a great guy. Definitely a guy that more of us should be like. Not judgmental, kind, those sort of things. And they, they lift his moral attributes, and they say, show him respect. Be like him. But none of these, Islam, Hinduism, atheism, None of these proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's part of Matthew's point. He's wanting us to see that Jesus is king, but that that is not enough. You see, even the demons in hell get that one right. But they have not believed the gospel. They have not experienced his grace. And so we come through this passage and we see that creation proclaims that Jesus is king. Prophets proclaim that Jesus is king. Nations proclaim that Jesus is king, but creation does not proclaim the gospel. Prophecy does not proclaim the gospel. Nations do not proclaim the gospel. And then it lands squarely on you and me. Will you? Will you? You who are reading this text, who identify as followers of the way, that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that he is your king, Matthew is squarely indicting us, just as he was his original audience, that yes, we get all the answers right, yes, we know what the word says, but do we proclaim that Jesus is king by proclaiming the gospel? That's what his word confronts us with here. Do you, creation does, do you, Prophecy does, do you, the nations do, but none of those things can proclaim the gospel, but that's exactly what you and I are called to proclaim. Brothers and sisters, in just a moment, these doors are gonna open. And what I am hopeful of is that that will result in a flood of proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. A tool that we use here at First Baptist is called the three circles. And the way that we use that tool is by starting with a circle that says brokenness. It's the one thing we all agree on is that something is wrong. We look around our world and we say there's sin, there's murder, there's, there's theft, there's racism, there's injustice. There's all of these things as we look around in our culture, something is wrong. But the good news of the gospel is that that wasn't God's design. When God created everything, he stepped back from it all, including people and their relationship with one another and their relationship with him. And he said, it is very good. So how on earth did we get from God's very good design to this broken world full of broken people? 
And the Bible answers that question by saying that sin entered into the world. You say, well, what is sin? Sin is any time that we pursue anything as good other than what God said is good. And that's what they did. They, they took this fruit that God said wasn't good and they looked upon it as if it was good for them. And they took it and they ate it. Their eyes were open and instead of seeing more clearly, all they saw was their nakedness and they hid. They hid from God, they hid from one another and we've been hiding ever since. And we try, listen, to clean up our broken lives and our broken world. That's what we try to do. We try to get back to God's good design on our own, but we can't, we can't. But there's one way back and God made the way and that's what we celebrate today. And that is the gift of his son. You see, the Bible communicates that God sent his one and only son to come and to live in our broken world, but he was not broken. He wasn't sinful like you and me. There was never a sinful inclination of his heart. He never looked wrongfully upon another person. He always did justice. He always walked humbly. He loved his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And his neighbor is himself perfectly every time. But at the end of that perfectly good, beautiful life that we have recorded in the gospels, he did something for you and me. And that's this, he died. The Bible teaches that the consequence for your sin and for mine is death. And that's why Jesus died, was to pay the penalty for your sin. Not for his own, he didn't sin, but you did and I did. And so Jesus in grace died on a cross for our sins. The Bible says that he was truly crucified. He truly died that day and then was buried. And for three days, he was in the tomb. But on the third day, God demonstrated that his son had defeated sin and defeated death by raising him from the grave. He was seen by many witnesses. They didn't just make this up. This wasn't groupthink. This wasn't a legend. He was seen by many witnesses. They walked with him. They talked with him. They ate with him. And then they watched him ascend into heaven with the promise from the two angels that appeared that just as you've seen him leave, so one day he will return. And so we look forward now, we wait, as we mentioned last night, for the coming of King Jesus. And the Bible says that if you will trust him, if you will turn from your sinfulness and trust in him, that you become a new creation. God transforms what you were into who he made you to be, and you begin to grow into your relationship with him. And so I wanna invite you today, if you have never done that, if you have never come to a place where you acknowledge you got honest with God about your sinfulness and your need for forgiveness, that today would be the day that you for the very first time say, Jesus, you are king. Nate said it earlier, quoting from Philippians, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that invitation is extended to you today, to today, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to acknowledge his kingship, to, to come in accord with his word that he is king and to turn away from your sin and to give your life to him. But unlike Islam, unlike Hinduism, unlike atheism, you are giving your life fully to the Lord and trusting in him alone, him alone to save you. You're not trusting in other gods you're not trusting in other ways, you are trusting him and him alone. 
And if that's you today, I just wanna share with you my testimony. When I was 16, I realized that I was a sinner. And what I did is I just simply got down on my knees alone with the Lord and I said a prayer like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you gave your son to die on the cross for my sins. And so God, I'm just confessing to you that I need your forgiveness. I believe that you gave Jesus to die for me. And so God, as best as I know how, I give you my life. And I want Jesus to be the king of my life from this day forward. And it's not like the trees started blowing or, the, or anything crazy. But I'm telling you right now, testifying before you today is one of his. He changed me. He took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. And all of a sudden, I had something I'd never had before. And that was a love for God. I had never had a love for God before. Sure, I had respect. Sure, I knew the right answers. But I had never had a love for God. But God gave me that gift that day, a new heart that loved him. That's what he wants to give you today, the gift of a new heart. He's giving you the gift of his son. And right now he is extending to you the chance, the the opportunity to respond in faith to his son. Will you respond? Father, in this moment, I pray that we would all enter into a moment of prayer and worship, thanking you for the gift of your son. But God, for the one who is here today, who has never given their life to you and never received from you a new heart, a heart that will love you and a heart that is free then to love others as themselves. I pray that today would be the day that they leave with a gift maybe they least expected to receive, the gift of your salvation, the gift of you as Lord, the gift of Jesus as their savior. I'm gonna invite for everyone to stand in this moment. If you're here today, and it is your desire to pray and to give your life to the Lord in the way that I've just shared, I wanna invite you to do something. I'm gonna be standing right here and I wanna invite you to come and to spend a couple of moments with me. I wanna have a conversation with you. I wanna have a word of prayer with you about what it means to trust and to give your life to Jesus. But for the rest of us, let us worship this King, this King that we proclaim in the gospel.